Hello there. You're listening to Local Bops, a music podcast about artists, community, and craft. I'm your host, Connor Beckett. Rumination often provides a path forwards, an avenue through which we can truly, finally, let shit go. It's a process that songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Nico Headley is well acquainted with, and after years of playing in various backing bands, he's released his debut record, Painterly, nine tracks of AM Country Catharsis, a reflective journey back in time. On this episode, I spoke with Headley about the long winding road that led to this record. And over the course of our conversation, we took the scenic route, discussing topics including closure, hyper self-criticism, the Emily Dickinson quotes that informs the LP's title track, and the very human attempts to gradually be less of an asshole. Headley was also gracious enough to perform three tracks from this effort in the local Bop studio. Take a listen. If I stand alone at the gate for an hour, might change it somehow. It's strange, but it's how that I came to break it in two, to mend it for you somehow. I just wanted to jump in and talk about process first and foremost, kind of a little bit more of a heavy question, but I was really curious about your process as it relates to writing these records and something that I gleaned from your press release that I was really interested in exploring. It's my understanding that much of this record kind of hinges upon extrapolating from external signals and sort of cryptic signs you found in the world around you. And I thought that was kind of an interesting approach to songwriting because it relies on like this degree of implicit trust that what you're seeing is meant for you in a certain way, you know, that sort of, that these external symbols were full of meaning that was specific to you for you to discern. And I was wondering if you could just like elaborate a little bit more about that approach and I guess, you know, some of the specific signs that found their way into your work on this record. I think the thing that was weird, that is that is weird, that is notable about the, the sort of process of, of writing this record is that it was like the first time I'd ever done it, mm-hmm. right? So it was like I'd, I've been playing music for a long time um, and playing in bands and, you know, I... Uh, I've never, I would, was never really a songwriter. And I think that I had this moment that really sort of hinges on um, some very particular circumstances, which we can talk about later if we want to. But um, I decided that I was going to sort of let myself write a record mm-hmm. um, or let myself write songs because I think that I, a lot of um, – what was preventing me from doing it in the past was not like that I didn't want to or I, was, I wasn't trying, but it was more that I just had a lot of second guesses and doubts and, and, and sort of embarrassment, really, honestly, about doing that. And so I sort of made myself um, just sort of really lay bare whatever it is that came out and, and pursue it regardless of how it made me feel. And I think that in sort of that, process of uh of learning how to do this on how to write a song um i really had to i guess like use use things you know i mean i let me let me reframe this briefly just like what is it that it compels one to like make a thing like Mm -hmm. i don't know in the case of a lot of these songs it was sort of particular reactions to particular situations or um you know trying to trying to deal with things that were happening in my life and and trying to see if writing singing about it would help in this weird way and 
the process of making taking that sort of confessional um just you know sort of just like you know singing about my feelings and like playing guitar in my room and being like okay so where what's the point in which this becomes a song what's the point in this becomes something interesting that is useful to somebody else to listen to so that is helpful in the world that um that's good what makes it a good song and i think what ended up making it good songs is sort of taking is is trusting in the things that i was i was consuming in these ways like be it other music be it just random stuff that i encounter be it whatever i mean i think the the most obvious example of that is when i i'm in on painterly the song i repeat these lines at the end of the song that are just uh, verbatim a emily dickinson poem um and the reason i did that is because i read that poem and i thought it was saying what i was trying to say and so like why bother why fight it you know? yeah like well why bother like i can't say it better like that's saying exactly what i want to say so like let's just go there let's just use it let's just like allow those sort of external forces to be just in exactly part of the, the thing not just inspiring it in that way yeah it's almost like um this the weird it, its own form of like automatic writing like this concept that you just let the words I'm going to use the word manifest a lot in this mm-hmm. interview. I hope you're okay with that. Sure. Um, yeah, but I think the idea of just like letting the tracks manifest, um, obviously there's an active component to songwriting, um, but being less in one's own head and just sort of going with the flow in its own way um, probably produced something that might be a little bit more honest to what you were experiencing than writing in a sort of confessional voice. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, I thought, and, you know, in line with this being your debut, I thought it was interesting that you had avoided writing confessionally because i feel like that is often the approach that artists take with a first record with a debut record is sort of outlining the way in which you see the world like the the world according to nico if you will sure um so like actively avoiding that approach to songwriting i imagine you know took a degree of practice um and i was just wondering if you ever uh like felt that you were drifting into that singular worldview and if you took like steps to like distance yourself from that confessional approach or after sort of getting into this mindset of writing in this mode wherein you were just extrapolating and um and riffing upon what you saw around you as a form of songwriting if that if that form of songwriting like became more natural for you in terms of crafting the songs on painterly i do think that 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 the that the songs on painterly are very confessional right um i do think and that was exactly the sort of thing that I was afraid of doing. That was the thing that was preventing me from writing songs, is that I would write these sort of very confessional, like, little bits of songs and then be like, like, this is gross and fucked up. And, like, I, no one cares, like, how, why, like, that I'm sad about this thing or whatever it is. And the process of writing painfully was, like, really actually allowing myself to write confessionally. But then, like, going in the process of sort of honing those songs taking those initial ideas and like making them um finished um it was about chasing a sort of like universality through specificity Hmm. you know like i think that i wanted to be very specific emotionally specific without being incredibly specific like you know i saw this person at this place and it made me feel this way and blah 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 um that's how a lot of these songs started and 
I would, in the process of editing them, which is a pretty quick process sometimes, and sometimes it's a very long process, but I would in certain ways make them more precise and in certain ways make them more sort of like opaque. Um, and I wanted to be incredible. Just I, I don't know, really know what this means, but I, I wasn't intentional from a very early stage to be incredibly emotionally precise without be, being sort of circumstantially precise. And I think that's really what a lot of the process of writing this was about. And it's sort of and it's can maintain it's still what I strive for. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to root what you're writing about in in this degree of specificity that it becomes alienating to the listener like you sure. know because because in those experiences in in you know pulling from these symbols um or whatever signs you see in the world around you you, you do hit on something that is universal to i think the experiences that you were going through um when you were writing this record sure yeah i mean i also think that the other the other end of that coin, like the other sort of thing that I'm afraid of is, is, is chasing too much universality. Right. Right. I think that's like a big failure of a lot of pop music um, where it tries to be so universal that it lacks that specificity. It lacks that thing that actually makes it emotionally poignant. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like it's a tightrope. It's a weird thing to try to do. And a lot of this is also subconscious and I only really understand in retrospect. So let's pivot for a second. We're going to talk about the first two songs from your record that you're going to perform for us tonight, which is a suite of the record's first track, Tennessee, as well as the album's last track, Lioness. Uh, You envision the tracks that we're going to hear tonight as forming something of a triptych, um, which I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit on that sort of fine art approach to structuring this album, (laughs) an approach that, you know, could be described as... Painterly. Oh, I was gonna say artistic, but that works too. Anyway, uh. Uh, for the for the audience who is in here, I got a I got a, a knowing sort of look from Connor for that one. <laughs> you got a nice uh, yeah. you, got a, you got a nice shit eating oh, smirk from me. This is the time that I work the proximity oh, effect. Yeah, we yeah. discussed this in uh, soundcheck. Yeah, uh, I'm doing my uh, my asides back. You know, a little bit. Don't of worry about it. Get it, get real tight in there. A nice little Terry Gross ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> so the the first and last song. Okay, Tennessee. And Lioness, are they are and Painterly, the song Painterly, which mm-hmm. the name that the album is named after, are all. I think of them as sort of the backbone of the record, and I've called them. I started calling them a triptych um, when I was working stuff out with the band because when before the record was even a thing that we were recording in my mind, it was just like we're gonna make a live show, and the live show involved this triptych of songs. Um, and uh, as I started to consider it more of a record, it was very clear to me that this was sort of the emotional backbone. I mean, there's there are these three songs that are about very different things, but they're all love songs in their own ways. I think every song on the record is really a love song. But, and when I say love song, I don't mean like a, profession of love yeah you mean it but the, I, the yeah. Stephen Merritt kind of approach to a love sure. song yeah just like it's like a it, it's about love it's about mm-hmm. like modes of love of being in love or being loved or losing love like that's what a love song is to me um and th- I wrote them all at very different times and I think that they had a from a writing perspective had like a really particular function for me because like I, those change they share the same changes and those changes are like sort of rearranged in each one of them but they're the same it's the same they're all they're the same songs um they all 
came at very different times. Like I wrote, I think Lioness first, and then Tennessee second, and then Painterly last. And then when Painterly was written, immediately I was like, oh, if this is a record, it's going to be called Painterly. Like that's this makes sense. Um, but yeah, there, there. Like I think that Tennessee is about um, Tennessee is about wanting to be in love in a certain way. And Lioness is, is, is sort of about really wanting to be out of love, being like ready for love to go away, being mm-hmm. like convinced that you can get over it.
That was Nico Headley performing Lioness as well as Tennessee off his record Painterly, which is out September 3rd on Whatever's Clever. Um, circling back to sort of discussing this record, let's talk about creation and recording and timelines because, you know, we were talking about this uh, it having taken, you know, some time for these tracks to see the light of the day. Not not saying that in a way as which, in which to rush your creative process, <laughs> of course. Um, but I wanted to first talk about the writing of this album in the wake of heartbreak. So from my understanding, you didn't really think of yourself as a songwriter, which we talked about earlier when you started the songs on this record. And these songs kind of manifested out of uh, the recollection that came from the end of a breakup. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about that synthesis at length and, you know, I guess how rumination eventually materialized as the, the nine tracks on this record. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that um I didn't like I didn't write this record right after a breakup and I think that's actually really important was really important about what it became like th- this is sort of about this is about two breakups really and both of them in retrospect with a good amount of time mm-hmm. um before I started do, like really writing them um and I think yeah I mean it, the record's about when I say it's about two breakups I mean it's like 
there was one big breakup that I did, didn't write anything about. And then I had another relationship that happened and then that ended and the ways in which I was thinking about it, you know, months after that breakup was what this sort of started to be about. And I think what I'm talking about is not just that re- more recent breakup, but like how that other breakup informed the relationship that I ended up in and like how that other breakup informing that relationship sort of like poisoned it in these ways and like made it set it up for failure. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's what a lot of the themes on the record are about for me. Um, I mean, that's what I was writing about. Um, I think that uh, the record's really about, um, like, this is something that early on, when I was, like, working with the band in getting these, something I learned from Ben Saratan, who the, I... The venerable Ben Saratan. The venerable Ben Saratan, um, who I've played in his band for years. I've played bass for him, with him, um, for years. Um and he's he has this brilliant he does this brilliant thing and he has since I met him and it, and at the time when I met him in 2012 or 13, um, he hit the way his set worked his solo set worked is he would before certain songs he would start a guitar drone and then he would just start in a sort of meditative monotone just describing a scene mm-hmm. and then he would end that description by saying and that's where this song takes place and then the song would start and he would play the song and I and like beyond the performance aspect of that like that ex- the way that he thinks about music in that way extended into the rehearsal space it extended into him showing us these really early demos and just like instead of being like here's the changes here's like the vibe i want it to sound like this sort of thing like you guys play this sort of thing he'd be like no he would just give you this sort of like o- oblique weird story that has like no sort of real center and then you'd be like, that's what the song's about. Let's go. And you like, wouldn't even tell me the changes and just like count it off and like, let's go. And like, that's how he got performances out of the people he was playing with. And it was fucking sick, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and some of the, yeah, I mean, there was some, like some of my, the bass playing I'm most proud of came from Ben sort of like coaxing shit out of me in that way. Um, and so that, I took that to this band because I think it's it's smart. And so I took... I talked a lot about what I was thinking about when I was writing this music with the band is mm-hmm. my point here. Um, and the ways in which we went about it was me sort of talking about like these sort of sp- particular feelings, not particular things, but particular feelings and just sort of encouraging that. And I think that that's, uh, I've sort of lost my train of thought in describing Ben's beautiful process. I love you, Ben. <laughs> I love you too, Ben. He's definitely listening to this podcast episode. No, it's interesting. Like I, um, so there's two things I wanted to say in follow up to that. It also what you were describing as it relates to Ben's performance reminds me a little bit of one of the members of the family band, uh, Ryan Elsol's approach when he was performing with Scree. We were talking about that show at Union Pool back mm-hmm. in February of 2020, where you were playing with Ben, um, pre- sort of providing this like preclude to the tracks that we were about to hear, this sort of spoken word poetry that kind of informs uh, the music that we were going to hear. I think that's really important, not only like as a creator, but also as a listener to understanding, you know, I, not not glancing, like, like we said, like the full specificity of context to what we're hearing, but at the very least providing the instrumental equivalent of mood lighting, if you will, to set the sure. scene. Yeah. Um, the second thing I wanted to say was that, you know, I can, I think you can definitely hear that sort of discussion uh or at least like including the members of the family band 
into the specificities of the songs like on this record in the way that the instrumentation kind of manifests like i think on tracks like the tower there's these kind of fluttering woodwinds and strings that cater to the tracks very reminiscent nature or like the sauntering bass line on i just want to dance leaning itself to like this lyrical self-doubt that you hear um i guess like you know in line with that that there was a, a large degree of trust that informs like your collaboration with the other members of the family bands when you were performing this but i guess my question was like did, did you ever fear oversharing in a way that would inadvertently affect the music or the instrumental performances and, and send it in directions that you didn't want it to go i mean short answer no i think that um i long answer i uh as I said before, like so much of the process of like, you know, admitting to myself that I can be a songwriter or whatever was sort of getting to this point where I, I had to do it in such a way where it was like, there's no such thing as oversharing. Mm -hmm. Like the only way I could even allow myself to begin to do this shit, I had to say like oversharing is is, is a made up thing that I is just part of my anxieties about the world. And it's like a, a lie I had to tell myself in order to even begin to do this process but then as far as the band goes it's like no i trusted them implicitly like that was the point and that is once again something i learned from ben like ben trusted his band implicitly when i was in his band and i still am in his band um and that got i watched him get really good performance out of other people and me because of that because nobody is everybody knows that they're trusted or maybe they don't but they they I'm constantly telling them that they are trusted implicitly and they are like the answer was always yes mm -hmm. unless occasionally I would be like all right we've gone like a little too far off the rails let's bring it back to this thing or like let's go over here but for the most part it was just like here's a song this is the vibe like let's go and then the arrangements just came out of it really naturally um, and also it's like that's not normal that's something that can only happen with really brilliant musicians like the family band i mean they're all fucking ringers yeah it's crazy yeah. and like ryan and carmen and bones who i like really initially made started to make this music with um started to arrange this music with like really fucking killed it and then when jeff came in it was just like oh fuck yeah like this is great like i did i had nothing there was no there was no slowdown it yeah. was just like keep going in fact there was a lot of like make it more fucked up <laughs> that was like more often than not the the, the note i had was like make it a you're holding less, back like stop being tasteful be less tasteful a little less clean if you will yeah too. yeah make it more jersey was actually something i said a lot to jeff make it more jersey i'm not sure what that means <laughs> he wasn't sure what that meant and he was i think a little annoyed by that note but it like always worked yeah i'm gonna try to not be offended by that like, no it was a good thing it was a good thing it was right. a good thing yeah he's from yeah. jersey nika the next song you're going to play is something to make um and i would love to get a little bit of a preface um, about this song in the artist's own words, if you will, before we bend our ears and give it a listen. Sure. Um, Something to Make is a breakup song. Um, I think all, all the songs are breakup songs, but um, as we've discussed, but... Uh, and also love songs. Yeah, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. The best breaks up, the best love songs are breakup songs. I feel that strongly. Um, I love breakup songs. I was actually... We, whatever doesn't matter breakup songs are cool this is one of them um yeah it's about it's about breaking up yeah well you heard the man let's let's break it up and break it down nico headley performing something to make right here right now on local bops <laughs>
I stand alone at the gate for an hour Might change it somehow It's strange but it's how that I came To break it in two To mend it for you somehow I scrape the soles of my shoes when I walk Wear them both down I'm trying it out If I feel the slush seeping in There's a reason for bowing out Don't waste your time on it I've been setting the stakes Cooking the books I can in it for Nico Headley right here on Local Bops about his stunning new record Painterly which is out via Whatever's Clever on September 3rd. Woo! Yeah. Um, yeah! Yeah, there we go. A little bit of crowd action in there. Um, <laughs> one thing I thought a lot about when I was listening to this record last night was how this record is about how even as things change uh, they often can stay the same. Um, and you know Painterly was recorded you know two years ago 
it's now seeing the light of day if i'm if i have that correct right to in 2019 at uh spaceman sound something like that yeah yeah um you know you talked about how this record was not just about like one breakup but about two breakups and how you know the past inevitably kind of feeds into the future and it's you know or the present i should say and it's it's kind of an active act to distance yourself from you know i think like past behaviors or distancing yourself from your own uh your own personal history as a way of paving a new way forward um and i was just wondering if that was something that you were still contending with uh even listening to this record now or if you felt that you had reached this kind of plateau wherein you could look down if you will on the songs that are on painterly as a version of yourself that is now kind of receding into the rear view sure yeah i mean i think this actually reminds me of the thing I forgot to say at the with the, your last question or the question before it, um, which is that I, I've since it, from a very very early stage in this record I've described it as being about getting better, mm-hmm. and then I've always qualified that as saying that it's not about feeling better. It is about feeling better, but it's not just about feeling better. It's about being better and like trying to be a better person. Um, like I like the narrator who who is me. In case you were wondering, audience, <laughs> the narrator is me. Nice um, a tight action in there, you know. The <laughs> Bill, Billy got the mosquito. Oh, okay. Wait, actually, hold. Quick sidebar: <laughs> We've been trying to kill a mosquito in this studio, and <laughs> Bill. The beautiful producer has has made the kill. We interrupt this very important music discussion to bring you breaking news. The mosquito has been killed in the local Bob studio. All is well in the world. Anyway. This is, everything's going to be okay now. Getting, That's my point. Getting better, you're saying. Yeah, so getting better, um, being better. And I think that, like, me, the narrator, like, I'm an asshole in this music. You know, like, I was an asshole in the situations that I was singing about. And I... I am an asshole. And so the point is to not be, to be a better person, to be better to the people that we love, to be better, a better companion, a better lover, a better friend. And the, the, the act of making the music for me was sort of like a way of working through that. Like, how do I not be a fucking dick to people who don't deserve to be treated like shit? Um, and do can I look in the rear view? I really fucking hope so, but I don't know. It's the, the sort of thing that only time will tell, I guess. In some ways, <laughs> oh, that's going to be on the internet forever. Uh, well, uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the lush Emily Dickinson quotes at the center of this album's t- titular track, uh, "Painterly." Nice. Yes, perfect pronunciation. Uh, the quote goes, and we're about to listen to this song, and I, I wanted to focus in on this this quote because we talked about it at the, the top of the interview. The quote is, that fondled them when they were fire will gleam and understand. Um, I think as someone who has turned over this quote considerably, I'm less curious about what this quote means objectively or like, you know, what Dickinson intended, but what it means to you as sort of a cornerstone lyric for this project in your own words, if you will. Totally. Um yeah, I, I well, I think I started writing Painterly after I had a particular experience, and I took that, and I came home, and I started writing Painterly. And, and months before that, I had been reading a collection of Emily Dickinson 
quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, um, poems. They're, and it's called envelope poems. And they're not really poems. They're uh, a collection of essentially her scratch paper that she used. And she used old envelopes, used envelopes from correspondences to just sort of write down ideas and work shit out, I guess. And they were collected, so, you know, some of them were collected into this book called Envelope Poems, and one of them is this poem that just says that fondled them when they were fire will gleam and understand. And as I was, you know, pretty, you know, the way you look at a, I don't know, I don't know how you look at a book of poetry, um, but this sort of book of poetry, the way I was looking at it was I was just sort of like going, like flipping through it, and I came across this one. And I read it, and I read it twice, and then I kept flipping, and then I came back to it, and I read it a third and fourth time, and then I put the book down, and I went and got drunk at a bar probably, and then I came home, and I was like, what the fuck's up with that poem? And I just kept on reading it, and mm-hmm. I, was, I was like obsessed with it for like a day. And so I decided to – I wrote it down on a piece of paper, and I tacked it next to my desk where I would sit. People sit at their desks. I would sit at my desk. Um and uh, it was there for a long time. And then I came home and I wrote painterly. Um, and I went, left the room, came back. Also, just quickly to, I know we're probably going over time. No, here, no, it's fine. Don't worry about but it. But quickly, just like to go back to something you said before, like this is like, this was 2 a.m. Like this, mm. what, this is 2 a.m. music. This yes. was written yeah. at 2 a.m. This is not just intended for 2 a.m. Like it is, it's like, it's not just, I mean, later than 2 a.m. This is like well after last call at the bar kind of music. And it was written at well after last call at the bar kind of times. And um, and yeah, it's like I came home and I have wrote that song all at once. And the part that I sing over is what at the time the band had been well, me, I had been calling. I wrote Painterly about right when the band started being a band but the changes and the the changes are what i was calling the painterly theme because mm-hmm. um, the record had a theme that was the theme it's at the end of uh the end of lioness that's the theme it used to be that recurring like instrumental yeah. motif is what it used to be yeah. at the beginning like it, it still is but isn't on the record at the beginning of tennessee and initially the plan was to have there be an overture to the record which was like a big huge like strings horns overwrought version of that like there was a there was an overture with like the theme for the record and I was playing that theme at the end of Painterly when I wrote Painterly, and then I turned to my left and I read that poem, and I was like, oh, that's what the song is about. Like, mm-hmm. what does that song mean? What does that poem mean to me? I don't fucking know what that poem means. I know that when I read that poem, I was like, that's ex- that means exactly what I am trying to say, and I also don't know what I am trying to say, but, like, they're the same thing. There's an intangible they're quality just like, to it. We are both, like, me and like my old friend Emily are both like onto the same shit right now. And so like I put the words to the theme and that's how that happened. It's very rare. Like I think that often like songs have a function in my life Mm -hmm. or have since I started doing this, like, and they have, it's, it's in order to work out something. I used to think before I wrote songs that like, hearing songs that made me feel something would like make me or seeing art. I generally hate art and we're not going to talk about this in this article, in this article, in this interview, but I anti-art guy over here. Um, But 
Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna leave the audience hanging on that one. We can, if you find me in person, we can talk. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, like I used to think before I did it, it that like great art that like made me feel things would like make me want to make things but like no it's the opposite and then this Emily Dickinson poem is like an exception to this rule because I think it's a brilliant beautiful poem but usually when I like hear a song or like see a poem or whatever the fuck it is that like makes me feel something I'm like I don't need to make a song because like that is giving me the same sort of catharsis that I would get out of making like I, I'm I'm like understand it now like I've had this with all sorts of music but like that this is a very rare moment where it sort of intermingled. Like I saw the poem at the same time that I was like, trying to work through these things through a song. And so like they had to, they had to live together. There was no other option. Like they just had to be the same thing. They were the same thing as already. So like, I might as well plagiarize Emily Dickinson. Beautiful. Well, on that note, let's give a listen to Painterly, the titular track from Nico Headley's new album, Nico, thank you so much for coming on Local Thank Bumps. you for having me. If you've liked what you've heard, you can listen to more of his music at nicoheadley.bandcamp.com. You can follow him on Instagram at New York's Nico. There's a, there's an I'm the only there. one. There's, there's, um, there's, the other guy's an imposter, and I will fight him. <laughs> Oh, 
for all that fondled them when they were fired. We'll gleam and understand that fondled them when they were fired. We'll gleam and understand that fondled them when they were fired. We'll gleam and understand That's it. Yeah! Cool! We did it! Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Local Bops. This podcast was recorded in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and produced by my friend and sickly Habsburg royal in exile, Billy Coglin, a.k.a. Bilko. If you enjoyed Nico Headley's performance, you can find all of his music at nicoheadley.bandcamp.com. Be sure to also follow him on Instagram as well, at New York's Nico. There's an S after New York, by the way. You can find all episodes of the Local Bops podcast at localbops.com, as well as on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Additionally, you can hear the Local Bops Radio Hour every other Tuesday on kpis.fm. Thanks for tuning in. Take care and Godspeed.